Well, thank you so much for this invitation and the privilege of getting to know you and addressing you this, uh, this weekend. Uh, I was asked to share a little bit about the ministry because uh, I did mostly the teaching, but uh, I just want you to know that God is alive and active inside North Korea. There's a, there's a witness of him inside. Believe it or not, before the pandemic, there were 200 Americans, expats, like missionaries. Not all of them were missionaries, but quite a number of them were missionaries. We don't call them missionaries. But there were 200 Americans uh, living and working inside North Korea. And the last one came out January of uh, this year. And basically what we do inside North Korea is we do humanitarian work, educational work. We have schools that we support, teachers that we send. And we also do uh, businesses, help teach North Koreans about economic development. There's a busing company, windmill, uh, because nuclear energy cannot be, uh, because of the you know, potential of using nuclear technology to build nuclear weapons, uh, you cannot have nuclear energy. So there's alternative energies that uh, Christians are developing in North Korea to help the people of North Korea. So um, uh, there will be other opportunity, hopefully, to invite some of you to visit South and North Korea uh, with me and maybe even a team uh, from this church. Uh, but um, just to let you know that God is alive and well and working inside North Korea. And uh, the, there is a church by the expat communities. There are expat communities worshiping the Lord. They cannot invite North Koreans, but there are expats worshiping the Lord on Sundays, declaring his praise, doing prayer walks as they work. And so, uh, you know, ever, in an ever-secularizing society, it is harder and harder to be a Christian in the same way in a secular, atheistic society like North Korea, we need, they are, there are Christians witnessing through their work and through lifestyle and, and showing their family. So um, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer and, and go into the teaching. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being with the Alexandria uh, community here uh, this morning. And uh, I pray that the words that will be spoken will glorify the name of Jesus Christ and edify this church, that this church would live up to the calling that they have received in Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of, his, uh, in the name of the Son, we pray. Amen. So, you know, the, um, I don't know, I, I heard that the pandemic uh, wasn't so bad here in in Alexandria, but in Korea and in, in Canada, there were uh, lockdowns and people couldn't gather. And it was a, a really a difficult time for the last uh, two and a half years, almost three years. And so it has uh, afforded me to think about what are the really essential things in life. And I came to realize that I want to give my life, the rest of my life, to the God's ultimate will. And this God's ultimate will isn't about just who, who do I marry or which career path to choose, but this is God's ultimate will from all of history, driving from Adam and Eve throughout the history 
to the present, the present um, uh, history, present what, ha- what is happening right now, even through this pandemic. Not that God calls the pandemic, but through this era, what is God trying to accomplish? And also through eternity, into the future, what is God's will, ultimate will, that is not thwarted or diverted because of these world uh, circumstances? And this is found in Ephesians 1, 8 to 10. It says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach the fulfillment. And this is the crux of God's ultimate will, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So God's ultimate will is to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord of lords and King of kings and Lord of lords, that every knee shall bow in heaven and earth. All creation, human beings and all creation will bow down and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimate goal to which God has, God is preparing and working in history to the uh, past, present, and future. But also, God's will is to unite all things. And this Christ-centered unity is, yeah, what I'm termed the God's ultimate will, Christ-centered unity. And I've divided it into three things. Union with God, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and your soul and your strength. Union with humanity, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And union with creation, stewarding God's creation with compassion. Today, for the sake of time, I want to concentrate on our union with God, our relationship with God. What does that entail? What does that look like? What's God's ultimate will for our union with God? I want to share a story about um, my friend who adopted uh, a do- uh, his daughter from China to illustrate the God's ultimate will in our union with him. This is Peter's story. The theologies of justification, sanctification, and glorification are important to the Christian faith and understanding. When I adopted my daughter, Eva, in 2017, I came to understand these theologies in an intimate, deeper way. International adoptions are highly expensive, the cost being way beyond our means. In this same thought, God paid for our expensive adoption, which was a costly salvation. In fact, from the beginning to the end, the process of adopting Eva was a difficult and long process. After bringing her to the States, her new U.S. passport and birth certificate said she now belongs to my family. Just like the adoption process, we have been justified and adopted into God's family only by God's grace. It's nothing that nothing that we have done. However, because of her past trauma and difficult early childhood, she was still acting as if she was an orphan. She was using many acquired and learned survival skills as she interacted with us. With much help from the trust-based relational intervention, she was slowly changing to become my daughter, even though she was already fully and legally my daughter. This is just like our sanctification process with our Heavenly Father, With this process, God has also been changing me to be more like him. My hope in God is that one day, Eva will completely embrace and enjoy her new identity as my daughter. This would bring me so much joy as her father, just like our heavenly father receives glory and honor as we embrace 
and live unto our true identity. You know, because of our kind of the Protestant Reformed theology, we've emphasized justification by faith alone in defining our relationship with him. And so we've, in some ways, focused on our status, that we are forgiven, and uh, that our sins are forgiven, and that we can stand before God justified in a legal sense of the word. But what I want to uh, show you today is that that is just like an adoption paper, that that's not the real thing. The important thing is that we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ as sons and daughters. And that justification, that in justification, the sanctification and even glorification, changing ourselves into the image of Jesus Christ is all encased in justification, sanctification, and glorification. Let's begin with what is justification? To understand the answer to what justification is, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God created Adam and Eve. He said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But, so we were created to be in the image of God. But something happened. Death entered humanity when Adam and Eve sinned against God by their disobedience. Genesis 2, 16 to 17 states, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat and joy from all tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Did they immediately die? No. But what happened is, as soon as they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their image of God died, or at least maybe there was some remnant left, but their image of God was destroyed, and the Bible records that it, they died in the image of God. And so God needed a gargantuan, a humongous miracle to restore the image of God. You know, the bulls, so... Um, Law requires that everything, this is a universal law, law requires that everything be cleansed with blood. Without the blood, there is no forgiveness nor restoration. However, blood of bulls and sheep and other animals did not uh, restore the image of God. It cleansed the sins, but it did not restore the image of God in, in, in humanity, nor Priests who offered sacrifices day and you know day after day did not restore the image of God, although it forgave the sins of the Israelites. What was required was this humongous miracle that God, man in Jesus Christ came as a man. God in Jesus Christ came as a man to, to bring about this restoration of God's image in humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. Can you believe it? That God Almighty, who was sinless, the God who created all creation, came down as man 
Not only did he come down as a man, but he bore the sins of all humanity from Adam and Eve, from the German Christians who, who, who did the atrocities of, uh, in, in Auschwitz, to our personal sins, to the future sins, all the sins who were put upon Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. On, on the cross, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, although he never ceased to be God, he became a lump of sin. Other religions like Muslim cannot fathom this mystery because it is impossible. But in Jesus Christ, for God so loved you and me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hebrews 10, 11 to 16 shows that God's justification in Jesus is a transformed heart and mind. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them that after that, Time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. That, in our, that our hearts and our minds are transformed into the image of God and Jesus Christ by the one sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Then that we, by this putting our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that we have this restoration of the image of God that begins with the trusting our faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest. Justification is the beginning of transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, restored relational image of Jesus Christ. Alistair McGrath, who is one of the foremost theologians in, just, in the theology of justification, says the characteristic medieval understanding of the nature of justification is that the term refers not merely to the beginning of the Christian life, our made uh, life, but also to its continuation and ultimate perfection in which Christians are made righteous in the sight of God and of humanity through a fundamental change in their nature and not merely in the status. That's justification. Sanctification. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. There is a necessity necessity of Christians being sanctified. So sanctification is necessary because it forms Christ in us, meaning that it is not only a deliverance from sin 
and its punishment, but it's also a deliverance from the power of sin and its dominion over us by transforming our inner being into the divine nature of Christ. You know what? We are very stubborn people. Even though God is great and we're so puny, we, we have this will, self-will, that will not change our, our old ways, our set ways. And only as we are broken and humbled can God work in us to transform us. And there are two things that, that can transform us. Actually, three things, but two things, the first two are put together. First of all, word of God sanctifies us. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates and even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God has power to penetrate, to divide, and to break down us only if we humble ourselves. And before God breaks us, that we break ourselves and say, Lord, have your way. Have your way in me. Instead of going to the scripture for what's the blessing in it for me today, of course there are blessings in scripture. But our attitude should be, what do you want me to change? How do you want me to be transformed so that I can become more like Jesus? What are the blind spots in my life that maybe my spouse or my you know, children have been telling me, maybe through your word, you will reveal it to me. And so we need to go to God daily in the word. And also in prayer, before we study the word, that we need to be in prayer and say, Lord, change me. Have your way in me. You know, when, when we pray, Lord, bless me, bless me. Oh, be my way with my exam. Help me to get a promotion. God is like, okay, I hear you. I got it. But when we say, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus, your son, transform me. God, God pays attention. Hey, hey, angels, Gabriel, hey, Michael, look, look, look. This is a prayer that I want to hear. I want to transform and give them the greatest gift, which is that they be transformed to, into my son, that they may walk in confidence with authority, with power. Pay attention to them. Follow them. Give them whatever they need and even want. You know, second thing that sanctifies us is suffering, unfortunately. Actually, if we look, if we take a long-term perspective, suffering, in some ways, we need to embrace. Suffering is one of the most, single most effective way for our sanctification. Jesus, Hebrews 2.10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make their pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Can you believe it? Jesus, though he was God on earth as human being, 
had to be sanctified in his obedience through suffering. How much more do we need to embrace suffering in order to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Philippians 3, 10 to 11 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, if you have this longing to know Christ, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to have a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If that's the longing of your heart, listen to the next part. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. When suffering is informed by God's word, it has the effect of sanctifying us into holiness, and it gives us an attitude of gratefulness. You know, people who want, love Jesus and want to be transformed by Jesus Christ, when they suffer through sickness or through pain, what I notice is that they come out with so much more gratefulness. They're more giving. They're more generous. They're more kind. They're more humble. You know, people who have suffered, I notice that there is a depth to their character that, that people who have not suffered manifests. There's a Korean proverb that says, when you're young, you ought to buy suffering. We can endure suffering because we know that our goal does not end here on earth, but continues unto eternity. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I notice that there are seasons of sanctification. Actually, I'm going through one right now through myself and also my family. And you know what? I could fight it. I can say, Lord, I'm doing your work. I'm your servant. I'm your, chil you know, I'm your child. Why are you doing this to me? I can fight it and just miss out on the on this sanctifying process. Or I can say, it's hard. Life is hard. But Lord, I lay bare before you. Do your surgery of sanctification. I know that some of you are going through a season of sanctification. Maybe it's really hard. It's really hard for you to sit right here and worship God because you're so angry at him. Why? Why do my loved ones have to suffer like this? Why me? Why my family? Why my best friend? Yeah, you can continue to fight with him. But I just want to say to you, the reason why not that God caused it. No, God did not cause it. But life is hard. And we live in a fallen world. 
And, and I just want to encourage you during this season, if you sense that this is a season of suffering and a season of sanctification for you, please humble yourself and say, Lord, it's hard. I don't like it. Take it away. But if it is your will, I'm willing to lay my heart before you, lay my life bare before you so that you can do your surgery of sanctification. Because my desire to be transformed and become your child into the image of Jesus Christ is greater than my detestation or hatred of what I'm going through right now. Romans 8, 28, 30 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Hallelujah. Third is glorification, that we are transformed to, into the image as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. John 17, 22, his prayer for his disciples, not only the 12, but all of us. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So as soon as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, not only are we justified, not only are we in the process of sanctification, but we are also glorified. Just as Jesus, as the Son of God, has the power and the authority and the privilege, we too, as soon as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, have the power, the privilege, and the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, in incremental, we're, we're getting there, we're getting there. So what does glory, what does glorification look like? Maybe some of you have a hard time conceptualizing what, what, do, what does it look like to, to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ? I want to take a look, give you the example of um, King Melchizedek. Uh, he was a king of Salem, but at the same time, he was a priest. And when Abraham won a war, he offered to Melchizedek uh, a tithe, a tenth of what he, 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 he won through the war because he considered Melchizedek greater than himself because he was a king and a priest. And actually, Melchizedek in the Bible in Hebrew says that Melchizedek is a prototype of Jesus Christ. And in fact, related to that, if you take a step further, Melchizedek is a prototype or a model of us being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That we are kings and queens, you little ones are princesses and princes being groomed into royalty. Can I get a little bit of cooperation? We just had in Canada, we just had the Jubilee, you know, 70th anniversary of the queen, right? You guys are queen, queens, and kings. And you know how kings and queens, you know Queen Elizabeth, you know, Canadian, you know, we consider her our queen. You know how queens wave? 
They don't wave, hi. They wave like this. Okay, can we all practice being kings and pre kings and queens and princess and princes? Can we all just wave? Can we give the royal wave, please? Just cooperate. Give me a little bit of, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, wow. We have so, you guys are all royalty, royalty, kings and queens. You're doing well. So the purpose of our union with God is that we are groomed to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, kings and, kings and queens and priests. We have this dual role. Now, Romans 8, 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to address a communal aspect of this. You know, it's not just about personal or individual relationship with God, but there is a communal aspect to this calling in Christ as co-heirs, that we are the body of Christ, that we are a nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I want to address especially the people who are watching the, uh, uh, from the other side of the camera, is that we, you need to belong to a church. And I know that it's easy just, you know, staying at home and, and watching the worship, I heard that in Korea, some of the, some of the parents, like one of the uh, children kind of tattletailed his father on, on me. I mean, on him. On, anyway, he told me about his father. His father just got out of his, you know, got out of bed and uh, in his pajama was laying on the sofa and just watching the um, service in the living room with a smartphone. And uh, I know that it's easy. And it's very, you know, you may be tempted to do that. But you know what? There is a calling on you as a royal priesthood, as a nation called that we have a a communal identity as a body of Christ. But not only that, not only are we called to being, but there is also a doing, a task. The purpose of our union with God is to unite God's ultimate will, which is to unite all things in heaven and earth under the headship of Jesus Christ. So we are called to be royal priests for our family, to daily pray for our family, to pray for our county, Douglas County, to pray for our nation, to pray for the nations, Ukraine, North Korea, and others. I just want to close by saying that I, uh, before coming here, I had a talk with uh, Pastor Trinity and I was so excited. I mean, I was looking forward to coming to Alexandria and meeting all of you. But on top of that, as we were talking, we were talking about how do we equip our whole church to be disciple makers in our homes, in our, um, in our workplace, in our, in our, you know, with our neighbors, inviting people over. How do we make our allow people to be the body of Christ, to be royal priesthood. So out of the overflow of who we are in Christ, that the doing comes. And, and uh, 
And I look forward to how we can partner together. You know, I have a paradigm shift during the pandemic is that we need to not only send, train people and prepare people for missions, but we need to equip the whole body of Christ because we never know who will be, you know, where uh, overseas or locally. But if we can really equip our congregational members to be the body of Christ, to be a royal priesthood, out of the overflow, there will be this great desire to share the gospel with our neighbors, to share the gospel with our children and our, uh, our parents. And then out of that overflow, evangelism and discipleship will be so much more natural. And uh, that's our, my prayer for you, is that you will live up to your calling in Christ as image bearer of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of uh, um, addressing this wonderful congregation here in Alexandria. And I pray that your name will be honored and glorified through each person's life. Uh, here, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.